Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Phillies Today podcast. I, of course... I'm your host, Dan Wilson, coming to you on this Wednesday, February 19th, 2023, following a day where the Phillies, they split a doubleheader. They go to Chicago, you know, bad weather out in Chicago on Monday. They play a true single admission doubleheader. You don't see those too often anymore, but a single admission doubleheader started around 4 o'clock Eastern, played right through. And by the way, with these games going as fast as they are these days with the pitch clock, it was over still before 10 o'clock. They had a nice, solid half-hour-plus break in between games, uh, and this was over less than a six-hour day of baseball, and they got 18 innings out there at Guaranteed Rate Field in Chicago. Not a not the field in Chicago that the Phillies have tons of memories playing at. This will probably at the end of the season be a relatively forgettable series, two games on one day, followed by a day game later on today. So a bit weird in terms of how it's structured that way. But I do want to get into this because – Again, 18 innings of baseball. Phillies win the first game 7-4, lose the second game by a score of 3 to nothing. And I want to give you my top five takeaways from this doubleheader because there was a lot of baseball in. Again, the Phillies won one. They lost one. They go f- Both the Phillies and White Sox actually took a 6-10 and record to a 7-11 record. And this is two teams with the two worst bullpens in baseball in terms of ERA. These are two teams who came in with very different expectations to begin the season, but same records coming into Tuesday. They end with the same records, and now they'll have a rubber match on Wednesday. But my top five takeaways from the split doubleheader uh, against the White Sox. Number one, I'm going to start with the game one starting pitcher, and that is Zach Wheeler, the quote-unquote ace of the staff. We sit here, and we love to have the debate about whether or not Aaron Nola is an ace. And there are people who are like, oh, he is an ace, and people who's not an ace, or he's a 1B, or whatever you want to call him. People love to get concerned about Aaron Nola. And I'm willing to admit I'm concerned about Aaron Nola. The guy breaks down late in games, fifth, sixth inning consistently, and he's shown it again this season. You never really know what you're going to get from him. You know you're going to get a pretty pretty solid start to begin with, but what are you going to get from him later in the game? That's often a wild card. You know who's been arguably more of a wild card, and I would say more of a concern this season than even Aaron Nola. How about the guy who undisputably was an ace for the Phillies last season, and everyone is so comfortable saying is the ace of the staff, Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler got through five innings today. Five innings, or five innings yesterday, I should say. Got through five innings. He allowed four runs after allowing a four-run third inning. Just totally falls apart. He turned a 5-0 lead by the Phillies, got out to an early 5-0 lead, the offense giving him support, and he quickly turns that into a 5-4 lead. Now, he did end up getting the win. Again, he barely went long enough, went exactly five innings, allowed four runs, and had just enough run support to do 
the bare minimum to get the win in this game. But I'm concerned about Zach Wheeler. This guy is, by the fifth inning, sitting low 90s on his fastball. He's now barely averaging five innings pitched in each of his four outings this season. His ERA is sitting a little below five. It's at 479. Like, this isn't a guy who looks like the ace of the staff, and this is a guy who, in the third inning against the White Sox, looked worse than Aaron Nola has all season. Totally unravels, all in one inning, and it's the type of thing that if Nola was doing it, people would be like, ah, there he goes again. But it was Zach Wheeler doing it, and he has, I know he's said the pitch clock is really affecting him, and I know it's been a struggle after all the innings he pitched last year and coming off of an injury and ramping back up in spring training. I get it. I'm not dismissing that kind of stuff. But at a certain point, you got to figure it out. Like, how many starts do you have into the season to figure out these adjustments that you need to make, whether it's through your health or whether it's through the pitch clock or whatever the case might be? Again, now through four starts, guy can barely get through the fifth. He hasn't gone deeper than the sixth all year. His longest start, his longest start of the year was six innings, something that the Phillies have struggled to do across the, you know, the starting rotation so far this season is get depth out of their starters. You'd like to be able to think, you'd like to think that you could count on Zach Wheeler for this. I One of my absolute major keys, maybe the biggest key I had entering this doubleheader was they need depth out of, Aaron, out of Zach Wheeler. And it, it wasn't even the depth. They got depth out of one of their starters uh, in this doubleheader. It was not Zach Wheeler. We'll get to the other guy who started in game two, who actually was able to go deeper than Wheeler, was, was in a losing effort, but ended up pitching better than Zach Wheeler did. So, Number one concern coming out of this, or number one takeaway, is I'm concerned about Zach Wheeler more than any other starting pitcher on this staff. That's the guy you're supposed to be able to rely on. That guy is supposed to be unequivocally your ace. Everyone's supposed to agree. This is the guy that once every five times you go out there and you feel great about your chance to win. I do not, and I don't know how anybody else could feel that way about Zach Wheeler on the mound right now. You need four, five innings out of your bullpen every time he pitches at this current rate. Now that brings me to my second point, which is that the bullpen, they did their job. Welcome to opening day. This was opening day for the bullpen out there in Chicago. It took a couple weeks. The bullpen, as I mentioned, the second worst bullpen ERA in all of Major League Baseball this season. And it's been a struggle. There have been a lot of, and again, some of that is because the starters are not giving them any depth. And they're not helping them out. And Rob Thompson's being forced to ask three, four, five innings consistently every single night. When your bullpen every single game is being asked to get anywhere between 9 and 15 outs, it, it's going to you know, tax your bullpen. But we're not even into the dog days of July and August, as they say. We're still in the middle of April, and this bullpen's already looking taxed and already looking like it's struggling, even when guys have off days preceding it. But what an effort this was by the bullpen here in this game against the White Sox. Game one against the White Sox is what I'm referring to. There was a sequence there in the sixth inning that I was sure was not going to go in the Phillies' direction. Again, Zach Wheeler allows this game to go from 5-0 to 5-4 in the third. And the Phillies in the top half of the sixth have the bases loaded and leave them stranded. So the Phillies have a chance to try and strike back. Again, it was 5-0, goes 5-4. Phillies have a chance to tack on some insurance. They do not. And immediately Gregory Soto comes to the game, and my immediate thought was the White Sox are tying, if not taking the lead, here in this inning, the game's going to unravel, and what was supposed to be, you know, Zach Wheeler really punctured, like a Zach Wheeler start where you feel good about it, and they can get game one of the doubleheader out of the way. They're going to at least win this one. They start out to a 5 nothing lead. They're going to find a way to blow this. They just had 
bases loaded. They blow that opportunity. Gregory Soto is going to come in. He's going to blow his opportunity uh, as he hasn't looked great early in the season. Instead, he comes in, gets a 1-2-3 inning, two strikeouts, blows through the White Sox lineup in 14 pitches. The seventh inning, Craig Kimbrell comes in. Same exact thing. He does it in 13 pitches, two strikeouts, 1-2-3 inning. Sir Anthony Dominguez, he comes in for the eighth, two strikeouts. He does it in eight pitches. A guy who has really struggled this season in Sir Anthony Dominguez. He looked great in this game uh, against the White Sox, game one of the doubleheader. And then in the ninth, it was Jose Alvarado. He he locks it down. Again, one, two, three, two strikeouts. He does it in 10 pitches. Guess he can't be quite as good uh, as Sir Anthony in this case. But what an outstanding job of that bullpen. Like 12 straight outs. And for them to not allow a single base runner. Like no walks, no hits, obviously no runs. The bullpen came to play. Like they went right through that order, did exactly what was asked of them, made it easy on Rob Thompson. The Phillies did end up getting some insurance later in this game on a home run from Josh Harrison in the seventh. But nevertheless, whether it was a one-run game or a three-run game from the seventh inning on, that is three clean holds and a save for Jose Alvarado. A perfect game pitched by the bullpen. A perfect, not a full game, but a perfect 12 outs recorded by this bullpen on a day where the, the ace of the staff didn't have their best stuff and a day where you'd like this bullpen to get a little bit more of a break and you'd like this bullpen to say, all right, let's save these arms for game two and we're going to probably need it in the Bailey Falter start who started in game two. That's who you thought you were going to need these bullpen arms for. Instead, you have to bring them in uh, behind Zach Wheeler in a close game. Phillies strand a bu- you know, three runners in the sixth and the bullpen came in as the stopper, White Sox having zero success against them. An amazing, amazing thing to see the bullpen really come to play and really start off, like, just go totally against what their season has looked like thus far. They looked really good on Tuesday. They looked really good in game one. Again, three holds and a save uh, in order. Soto, Kimbrel, Dominguez, Alvarado, hats off to them. They, they would be my player of the game in game one. So Zach Wheeler, technically the winner, four relievers behind him, a cool moment for Josh Harrison there, giving them a little bit of insurance. Uh, so that's my takeaway uh, from game two, or from game one, rather. But takeaway number two is the bullpen. Number three, my, my third takeaway from this, and again, this is more so lasering in on game number one because uh, the offense didn't look so great in game number two, and I'll get to them in a second. But Nick Castellanos isn't cooling down anytime soon. Like, he's not, he's, it's now... We're now 18 games into the season. The Phillies are 7-11, and 11, and yes, they've been struggling, and I've had a lot to say about this offense, and again, I will get to them uh, in just a second here. But Nick Castellanos in this game goes 3-for-4, scores another two runs, drives in another run, had a walk as well. Like, Nick Castellanos, he's not driving the ball out of the ballpark. He certainly doesn't have the same power that he used to a couple years ago. But I'm, and I've said this a number of times already, and I will continue to say it, now through... Nearly 20 games to begin the season. This is now near, near 20 games. And again, we will see what he looks like in May, in June, and throughout the entirety of the summer. But one of the biggest, biggest focal points of this Phillies lineup, and this entire Phillies team for that matter, coming into the year 2023, is how Nick Castellanos would look, especially with Bryce Harper on the injured list. And especially with a guy like Reese Hoskins out for probably the entire season. I know there is a chance he might come back 
in the playoffs or late in the regular season, whatever the case might be. But as of right now, you're without, you know, your leader and your star. And Nick Castellanos, a lot a lot of pressure on a guy like that, especially five-year, $100 million contract, making $20 million a year. I don't think anyone believes he lived up to nearly a penny of that last season. The only memories we have of him are chasing pitches way outside of the zone and popping up to make the final out of the World Series. But then you come back to what he's looked like early in the season in the in the year 2023, he looks like a more locked in Nick Castellanos. He looks like a guy who you know worked on some things this offseason. Again, he's identifying pitches that are outside the zone. He's staying through the baseball more. He's hitting the ball to all fields. And again, not hitting home runs, but he has been a singles and doubles machine, and he's come up in the clutch a number of times. This is a guy who, in the early returns of 2023, like I enjoy, I look forward to Nick Castellanos coming up in the lineup, and he's actually earning where he, you know, earning his spot in the lineup, batting in the meat of that Phillies order. So Nick Castellanos continuing to look good uh, is definitely one of my takeaways. Again, he comes up three for four with a walk, uh, an RBI, and a couple of runs scored here in game number one. He didn't look so great uh, in game two. Oh for three, though, you know, the Phillies didn't get much of any offense going. Uh, in game number two. I will get to them in just a second here. But Nick Castellanos, like, it's time that we talk more about how much better he's looked at the plate uh, here in 2023. Game number, or takeaway number four. And this pertains, now we're shifting to a little bit more of game two because the offense absolutely came to play in game number one. Is this offense as a whole, as, as a unit in general, no, no one specific, because there have been a lot of high points on this offense, whether it's Castellanos, as I just uh, illustrated there. The Phillies' offense as a whole is among the leaders in the league. Yeah, I said this on yesterday's podcast about how you know they have the top batting average in the league, and they're top five and on base and slugging, and they're above average, just about every offensive category. But when it comes to actually putting runs across the plate, you have to look no further than they're also top five and stranding runners in scoring position. Well, that was not the issue... Uh, in Game 2 against the Chicago White Sox on Tuesday. They were absolutely shut down by Lucas Giolito, who went six innings, 102 pitches. Uh, Then they turned it over to their bullpen, and it wasn't until uh, the eighth inning when Brandon Marsh uh, actually broke it up. He broke up the no-hitter with a double in the eighth. But that was the Phillies' lone hit in this game, so that does officially mean the Bryson Stott uh, hitting streak to begin the season. Again, the longest hitting streak uh, in Philly's history to begin this season, he officially passed uh, everyone's favorite Puddinghead Jones uh, in game one of the doubleheader. He got a hit, and that m- gave him a 17-game hitting streak. So he broke the record, uh, but that hitting streak came to an end that very same day because he came up with a chance, even in the ninth inning, uh, was unable to come through. Again, one hit in this game, a Brandon Marsh double, uh, and that was it. And the Phillies were literally that Marsh double away uh, from joining the elite company of the Tampa Bay Rays in 2009-2010 uh, is getting no-hit three times in a calendar year. You remember they were no-hit last year at City Field in a combined no-hitter. They, of course, had a combined no-hitter against the Astros in Game 4 of the World Series at Citizens Bank Park last season, and then almost no-hit again here uh, in April. Not quite 365 days removed uh, from that no-hitter up at City Field last at the end of last April, so... Brandon Marsh was the only difference between uh, the Phillies joining some being more so infamous than joining the record books or any history that you want to be a part of. Uh, But the offense just 
has been a little too inconsistent for my liking and too inconsistent to be taken seriously here early in the season. I understand it's a doubleheader, and I understand uh, you know, winning to get after you already have the one win under your belt, and you would have expected to win the Wheeler start more so than the Falter start, though not necessarily the way that you drew it up. Wheeler only gave you five innings, you turned it over your bullpen. That was the game in which the offense showed up. There are way too many games where the run output for the Phillies this season, whether it's as a result of just being totally shut down and the offense going completely asleep as it did in game two against the White Sox, or where they're putting up double-digit hits. I mean, I can't tell you how many times this season the Phillies have 9, 10, 11, even 12 team hits, but the run total just is not good enough uh, to win the game or not good enough to put their pitcher in a position uh, to go out there and win the game because they're leaving so many runners stranded on. So this offense needs to find its groove more consistently, A, not getting shut down. I mean, sometimes you just tip your cap to the other pitcher, uh, and this certainly seems like a fluke, excuse me, uh, what happened in Game 2 against the White Sox because, again, it's – this hasn't really been uh, the M.O. for the Phillies so far this season, getting one hit or being in the threat of a no-hitter. Uh, but pushing more runs across the plate has been. So this offense needs to, despite what all the numbers might say in terms of you know batting average on base percentage, slugging percentage, things of that nature, at the end of the day, it's about putting runs across the plate. That has not been consistent enough. So that showed itself uh, in game number two. That's my fourth takeaway. And my fifth and final takeaway here uh, in the opening segment uh, is that Bailey Falter despite allowing three runs uh, on a Jake Berger home run, uh, a three-run home run in the bottom of the first inning, he looked pretty good. Like He gave the Phillies some much-needed length that Zach Wheeler was unable to give them. The bullpen clearly needed a rest. As I mentioned, Soto, Dominguez, Kimbrell, and Alvarado all go in game one, so you figure they're on the shelf for game two. You do have that extra you know, call-up, that extra 27th man, in a doubleheader, but they needed some length out of one of their starters today. They didn't get it out of Wheeler, the guy you would have expected it from, and Falter picked up the slack. Like He went seven innings. Again, he allowed three runs. They all came in a first-inning home run. It was disappointing, and that is part of it. You don't get excused for that, but he gave them a really, really solid outing after that, and one thing that it kind of got me to look into and I find interesting, so Bailey Falter's had four starts this season, uh, and all but one of them has he allowed at least one first inning run. And the only one in which he didn't was his first start of the year against the Texas Rangers. And he allowed a home run to lead off the top, like to lead off the bottom of the second inning. The very first hitter of the bottom of the second inning was a home run. So he's clearly very susceptible to allowing runs in the early going of 2023, early in starts. Would be interested to see if whether Rob Thompson would ever consider using, you know, an opener for someone. Uh, in a case like Falter, because as I as I mentioned, clearly he, this is something he struggles with, and then he tends to settle in. I don't know if it would necessarily have the effect of like is it because he's facing the top of the order the first time through? That's got to be part of it, but also certain pitchers just need to settle in. I'm not again defending any pitchers who need to allow three runs before they settle in every time, if that makes sense. Uh, but the, the point is, is, this was I thought by far the best start of. Uh, Bailey, maybe not by far, because he had a a game against the Reds in which he went five innings and allowed just one run. But in terms of beyond that first inning, this was a much needed start they needed out of Falter, uh, and it should not go unnoticed. Despite the fact that the Phillies lost the game, like if the Phillies offense showed up at all and was able to put up five runs in that game, we'd all be praising Bailey Falter for how he pitched. So I guess my fifth and final takeaway 
Um, you know, Bailey Falter was not lights out. He did still allow that three-run home run in the first inning, and this has been a trend with him allowing runs very early in games and then settling in. Uh, but I thought that was a positive sign for Bailey Falter, whose ERA did go down uh, in this game, and he gave them some length, and it was the first start the Phillies have had all season where the guy got through the seventh inning. So Bailey Fal- that that start now belongs to Bailey Falter. You know, no starter, I had mentioned it earlier also on the podcast this week, that no starter had gotten through six innings for uh, for the Phillies all year. Bailey Falter now breaks through that. He gives them some much-needed length. He goes seven innings. Of course, the Phillies lost uh, on the road here, so they didn't need to pitch the ninth. Uh, but Luis Ortiz uh, pitched the eighth inning in this case. Uh, so that is how the Phillies uh, got through the second game, and they lose that one by a score of 3 to nothing. On the other side, I will preview Game 3, the rubber match between the Phillies and White Sox, uh, here at Guaranteed Rate Field in Chicago. Again, another day game out there in Chicago. Two day games in Chicago, and we're not talking about games at Wrigley. So a little bit of a weird series with the weather and how everything shaked out, but I think a lot to be taken away, uh, or a lot of takeaways, I should say, from this doubleheader, and I'm sure we will have another double, or not another doubleheader, but a, a lot of takeaways following this White Sox game, this third and final White Sox game, before the Phillies return home to take on the Colorado Rockies. So I will preview the pitching matchup, and we'll discuss uh, the angles on that. On the other side, you're listening to the Phillies Today podcast. I, of course, am your host, Dan Wilson. Welcome back, Phillies Today podcast. I, of course, am your host, Dan Wilson, uh, previewing this rubber match between the Phillies and the Chicago White Sox out there at Guaranteed Rate Field in Chicago. Uh, 2-10 start today here, another day game for the Phillies and Sox. Uh, for the Phillies, it'll be Taiwan Walker making his fourth start of the year, and he's coming off uh, by far his best start of the season. Uh, he was It was in Cincinnati. He goes six innings, allows just one run. Still not a ton of strike, four strikeouts, a couple of walks, uh, but just four hits. So he looked really, really good after struggling uh, to get through the fifth inning in both of his first two starts of the season. So really looking for a guy like Taiwan Walker, again, to give them some length. The bullpen did look really good yesterday in the doubleheader, but it would be nice to, on a day following like that, you know, give them some length. If Taiwan Walker can take them deep into the game, you know, the self-defined, not self-defined, but fan-defined, I should say, innings eater. Uh, if he could give them six innings of two or three runs, I would certainly sign up for that. Uh, and I think that would give the Phillies a chance here uh, and give this offense a chance. Hopefully they can wake up after a disappointing performance in game two. The Phillies offense will be going up against Mike Clevenger, uh, who has pitched pretty well this season. He's got a 220 ERA coming into the game. Uh, he will be making his fourth start of the season as well. Uh, and his first and third start of this season, he didn't even allow a single run, going five and six innings respectively. Had a start there in between in Pittsburgh that didn't go so great, uh, where he allowed four runs. But Mike Clevenger looking good here early in the season. Certainly a challenge for this Phillies offense. Uh, but you hope that they are up to it after getting, again, just one hit uh, against Lucas Giolito and the Phillies or the White Sox bullpen, I should say, in Game 2 of the doubleheader, following a good performance, a seven-run performance in Game 1. So the Phillies and White Sox rubber match. Phillies could definitely use it, uh, cut that deficit. They are below 500. 7-11, uh, 8-11 sounds a lot better than 7-12. and uh, And then you come home against the Rockies, and maybe they can get it going once again at home and uh, get this season back on track before the end of April. That's going to do it for today's episode of the Phillies Today podcast. If you're not already, make sure you are subscribed. Make sure you're tuning in each and every day. Myself, Francisco Rojas, Tucker Bagley have you with episodes every day, Monday through Friday. Until next time, go Phils.
We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.